We are in Psalm 119 this morning. We come to stanza number 18. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 137. Psalm 119, 137. For 17 stanzas now, for 136 verses, if you can believe that we've covered that many verses already in these series so far, David has uh, spent time just reveling and rejoicing in the Word of God that as he has it, we've looked over and over again how the repeated phrase that's come up is, according unto thy word, and he's looked at how he can be uh, joyous in these troubling times, he can be strengthened and encouraged in these trying and stressful seasons of life. Always because this word speaks to him. This word is all that he has. And he's expressed his continued resolve for the word, David has, uh, throughout these verses and stanzas. He's, uh, again, as we noted at the beginning, he's reminding his own heart, hey, where do I need to look? Where do I need to turn uh, when these types of seasons and times come upon me? I turn to the word. He's reminding himself. Why? Because the word is the only constant he has. The word is the only thing that's reliable. And that's why he can have his faith be deepened and his knowledge and confidence in God heightened. Because the word is constant. The word is always reliable. It's always there. And here David um, is expressing that again in this stanza. He's uh, being reinforced, we might say, uh, during a time, a stressful, troubling, in the words of this stanza, verse 143, a time of trouble and anguish. He is being reinforced, he's being strengthened to find his delight, as that verse says, in the commandments, the testimonies, the words of God. And here, I want us to look this morning at this entire stanza and notice sort of I would say call it the mystery of faith because we're going to see it in a word that's repeated constantly throughout this entire stanza. So let's read this stanza and then I have three uh, quick little headings I want to run through. So verse 137, David writes here, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not, uh, do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Here you can see that in all of the life, in the madness, in the mayhem, in the chaos, in the stress, in the trouble, and in the anguish of life, what is David returning to? He's returning to the word. Why? Because he, he says that here, notice the word that's repeated all throughout the stanza. What's the word? Righteous, righteous or righteousness. 
It's the perfect word. It's the complete word. It's the finished word. It's the word that speaks to him. This is, again, this is what is constant in the word of God that we have. What is it? It's the righteousness of the Father, of the Lord that he turns to. And it's this mystery, I would say, of righteousness that David is clinging to. And he's clinging to it here in a couple of ways, in three ways specifically. I want to look at them really quickly. So first of all, we have, I would say, the mystery of life's pain. The mystery of life's pain, which is an interesting uh, thing to notice as you look at this stanza and read all eight verses. You can, and you take a step back then. David is making this absolutely striking, I think, assertion here, which uh, as he moves throughout the stanza, that every single movement of God, every single action, every single moment of our lives, God is dealing with us in perfect righteousness. Every single moment of David's life, God is righteous. God is good. God is holy. God is just. Look at verse 137 again. He just says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. It sort of reminds me of that very, you know, kind of quaint and charming phrase, which is, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And it feels kind of like, how can we say that when you look around us at life? How can David make this assertion, righteous is the Lord, even as he's going through trouble? Righteous is God, even as he's running for his very life, as he's being hunted by his best friend's father, as he's a fugitive of the kingdom. How can he make the declaration? How can he look back and make this amazing assertion that God is righteous, God is good, God never wavers in this? It might be hard to make that statement. It might be hard to even sort of kind of coalesce, kind of link that statement to reality. If you just watch the news, you can see you, you are bombarded by just evidences of man's uh, sin and problems and depravity. You hear of this person shooting that person, this person saying this against that person. You hear of wrecks and accidents and fires and all sorts of things that come at you. When you watch just five minutes of a headline news broadcast, and what, how can you then uh, link it to this? Righteous art thou, Lord. God, you are so good. And yet you hear these stories of all these awful atrocities. And it always, it always, I always think of those moments in our country's history. I think back at like um, 9-11 uh, when the Twin Towers fell, or I even think about, uh, especially in, I think it was 2005, when Hurricane Katrina just ravished the Gulf. And I remember the questions that came out of those moments. What were some of the questions? It was, where is God? This, this uh, everyone who doesn't believe in God, and then when something bad happens, they say, where is he? Where did he go? Why did he let this happen? Isn't it interesting how God often gets the blame for these tragedies that come up in life? You can watch the news and you can say, if God is righteous, why is he letting that person stab that person? If he is righteous, why is he letting this accident befall my family? If he is righteous, why did this weather event just totally ruin lives and generations? 
And we can even bring it to a personal level. Why, if God is righteous, why did my mom get cancer? If God is righteous, why did he allow divorce to break my home? If God is righteous, why did he allow my friend to take his own life? If God is righteous, where is he? You can fill in the blank there. Where was God when? And it, it's just evidence that man knows there's someone who controls things. He knows that there's someone out there that um, is sovereign. And yet God always seems to get the blame when life doesn't go according to plan. And this is why this, this, this assertion of David is so striking. Because what is he saying here? He's saying, God, you are righteous, yes, even when life doesn't go according to my plans. Even when the catastrophes come about. Even when the things that are tragic, when they come in. When they upset what we have planned, what we have ordered, what the, our five-year plans, and now they're interrupted. We can still make the same assertion that, God, you are righteous, and this because this is the disparity between faith and unfaith. Because uh, life's greatest hardships and deepest pains are impossible to endure apart from this word. We had a time of testimony last week uh, during our morning service. And it was, I was so uh, moved by uh, that very testimony. I forget who, who, uh, who gave it, but they said, uh, I don't understand how people who do not have this Jesus, this word, this faith, how they can persist when times of catastrophe and tragedy and sadness and sorrow afflict them. And I think the same thing. They are searching for answers in those moments. And they go back, and that's when God, in the absence of answers, they blame God for not being there. And yet, he was there all along. This is, I think, the mystery of life's pain here. Is that, that, is that according to the word, this is, this is the frustrating, the tension of our faith. And that's why I've called it the mystery of life's pain. Why? It's because all of these catastrophes and atrocities, these troubling things we see in the news that come into our lives, that mess up our lives, and then we're trying to juxtapose it with God is righteous and he's always upright. The mystery of it all is that we aren't given answers or reasons or explanations. Rather, what the word does is it points us to the one who is, I would say, the answer and the solution for all of this. Let me just make a confession for you. I'm a pastor and I'm in the word, but guess what? I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I don't have all the answers for life's problems. I can't tell you why God allows certain tragedies to come into our life. Why he allows certain people to be taken out of our lives. Why he allows cer certain things to just come into our life that seems so nonsensical. People taking this person's life and people uh, outraged over this. I hate to say it, but I don't have the answers for that. 
I, I don't have the answers to, uh, to those problems. But I can point you to the one who does. I can point you to the one who does have the answers and who, I would say, is himself the answer. And that's the God who is righteous all the time. People are constantly looking for something to sort of fill in the blanks of those moments. To sort of give them an explanation, a reason, a, a reason why this happened. And so often, God doesn't, and that's what frustrates a lot of people. But our faith in those moments is clinging to the mystery of life's pain, which is that God is the reason. God is the answer. And that we may not find a resolution here in this life, we are shown that sin and suffering and sorrow doesn't need solving or deciphering. It needs a Savior. It needs someone to put it all back together. It needs someone who is, as it says here, righteous. Who is, in verse 138, very faithful. Like David, I think we can say this, that we are bombarded by this problem. The problem of pain, of all these things coming in and trying to juxtapose it with the righteousness of God. And here we are given the very same refuge. We have the same refuge that David did, which is verse 144. It says, the righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Regardless of what happens, God has proven, shown, and he will always show himself as the righteous, very faithful God. And this is, I think, the mystery of this faith in these times. That we aren't always told why, but we are always pointed to the one who is and who was and who is to come. We are always pointed to the Lord who has, as he says elsewhere in Revelation, the keys of death and life. Who has the authority over everything. Who is, as he says in Revelation 3, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. We are pointed to that one. Who knows the endings. Who knows the reasons. Who is the answer. The solution. We might not have the perfect right answer. And guess what? That's okay. This is what it means to have faith oftentimes. We live by faith, not according to sight. We live by a trust in Jesus and Jesus' Father, God in heaven, who is ruling and reigning. We don't live by reasons or explanations or anything like that. And this brings us back to that phrase that I've that is in a worship song that I love, which is faith makes a fool of what makes sense. Faith is actually a believing in the fact that God is righteous even when these events are happening. That the mystery of life's pain is that we are trusting the fact that God is still righteous. God is still good. And we're clinging to that promise. Why? Because he's given us that promise in his word. One old writer, he says it this way. That the whole business of Christianity is nothing else but a contradicting of sense. It's a contradicting of what we see in front of us. Why? Because we know the God who is behind it. And yes, it may not make sense to our eyes, but God's plan is more perfect and is way better than ours. So even when life doesn't go according to plan, God is righteousness. God is righteous and very faithful. Even in disaster, we are being dealt with in this faithful righteousness of God. And this is, I think, the mystery of the gospel. 
is perfectly speaks to the mystery of life's pain, which is what? Is the fact that we aren't given an escape out of suffering and sorrow. We are given a comfort and a savior who is with us in suffering and sorrow. He traverses those paths with us, those days with us. He's the one who walks beside us. The righteous God is the one who comforts us when we feel, as he says, small and despised. When trouble and anguish are on every side, we have a Savior who walks with us all the way. And this is what we cling to, that however dark, however grim, however treacherous, however troublesome these days and seasons are, our God's righteousness hasn't wavered, hasn't moved a single inch. He is still righteous, and His righteousness is stronger than whatever circumstance we face. This is the mystery of life's pain. That God is righteous no matter what. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. That's not just a cute, quaint phrase. It's the truth of the word that we cling to. This is what David was clinging to. Because it's what the word promises. And why? Why is good all, God, God good all the time? Well, that brings us to the next little lesson I want to look at, which is the mystery of God's person. Because if you notice again, looking at the stanza as a whole, the phrase, the words that come up again is righteous and righteousness. Five times in eight verses, David is declaring the very character of our father. He's declaring who God is. He's not just vainly repeating, oh, God is good and righteous. He's actually trying to drive us, and he's trying to drive us to glory in the God who doesn't just possess righteousness. He is righteousness. He doesn't just have it as an attribute. It is part of who he is in his person. He is the one who is righteous. There is nothing righteous apart from him. It just emanates from his character, from his person, and such that he is righteous every way at all times. So this is why he can say, verse 137 again, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Why? Because he is righteous in every single way. It's part of who he is. A right, an unrighteous God would be a categorical impossibility. It would be such that would collapse our faith if he could deal in unrighteousness. Because it would be changing who he is. It would be going against his character. A God who can change would be very bad news. A God who can shift passions, who can change with emotions would be very bad news. And that's not our God. He is righteous. He's beyond the possibility of change. Every single moment, he's dealing with us, with everyone in the world, in righteousness. He is, as it says, verse 142, everlastingly righteous. Look at, thy righteousness is an everlasting, always, all the time, eternal, continual righteousness. He doesn't change. He is very faithful in verse 138, as it says, uh, thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. Malachi 3.6. You don't have to turn there. You can write that verse down. But it, it, this is the prophet's declaration of the Lord's character. It says this. For I am the Lord. I change not. 
very simple, very declarative, just a simple statement. I'm the Lord, I don't change. I don't waver with the seasons and the times. I'm constant. This is the mystery of God's person. He is always the same. He's the righteous God. He is the faithful God. And His faith is steadfast. No matter what, no matter what we endure, no matter what type of tragedies or sufferings or sorrows we endure, God doesn't change. He is not alterable. What God is, He always will be. This is why David can cling to this God, because he knows that he doesn't change. He knows that regardless of what's in front of him, regardless of what he sees around him, his God isn't changed. He isn't changing, cannot change. He is our constant in these troubling seasons, in these seasons of turmoil, and when we are unsettled, when we are doubtful, when it looks as if things are going against us. Our God doesn't change. He is righteous in every way. He is faithful all the time. And this is the mystery of our faith. As it comes back to the mystery of God's person. Who has our only hope and our only source of comfort. And it comes back to this God who is righteous in every single way. Because he is righteous in and of himself. Everlastingly righteous. This is what David needed at this precise moment. He needed a God who doesn't change. Isn't that just like us? When everything is always topsy-turvy, upside down, up, uh, other way upside down, turning around, sh- times are, as it says in James, shifting shadows. Things are constantly moving forward and moving in ways that we don't like or did not expect. What can we rely on? A God who doesn't change. A God who is always faithful and righteous and pure and holy and good. This is the mystery of God's person that David was clinging to. Why is it a mystery? Because it doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look as if God is dealing with us in righteous. Again, that goes back to the pain that life possesses. But it's the promise we cling to. It's the promise we cling to against our five senses. (laughs) Why? Because the Spirit tells us that God is righteous and true. That He is always righteous and true. And that that is what we cling to. And that's what we need. If you just read the news, it's constant in that it changes. It's always in flux. This person hates that person, and then they don't. And then they hate another person. And then there's a new enemy that we have to be against. And if you aren't against them, well, then we're against you. It's always changing. It's hard to remember which side we're on if we have to pick a side. But what can we rely on? A God who doesn't change. David needed this. We need it too. Which brings me to my last lesson, which is the mystery of man's peace. The mystery of man's peace. I want to hone in on this one verse, 143 again, because I think it's so remarkable. Look at what he says. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. He openly admits He isn't uh, sort of trying to uh, shroud it, trying to keep it hidden, trying uh, trying to keep it secret. He openly admits, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. 
There's trouble from without, which is causing me to be have agony and anguish within my soul. He is just surrounded. This is literally what this phrase means. He is surrounded by stress and distress. Isn't that relatable? <laughs> I hope it is. Sometimes it is. Surrounded by distress. And yet notice David's resolve. Uh, and notice David's recourse. He says, yet thy commandments are my delights. Even as he is being surrounded and encompassed by distress and disaster and alarm and suffering and sorrow, he is delighting in the word. Why? Because he knows that just as his God doesn't change, the word doesn't either. Just as his heavenly father and Lord is sure and unchanging and always faithful and always righteous, the same is with this word. Which is why he's trying to live his life according to it. Why? Because he knows that's his constant. That's the thing that doesn't change. What gives him peace isn't that he is getting better. It's that this God is always good no matter what. This is the peace that we have. Notice verse 140. Because he says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Very pure. It's reminiscent of what a blacksmith does with a metal or an alloy when he puts it into the fire. What is he doing? He's burning all of the impurities out, out of it. He's testing it. He's trying it. He's making it what it ought to be. And so here David is uh, hearkening back to that. That this word, it's been tried. It's been put through the furnace of my own life. And it's always come out very pure. It's always come out as a very reliable thing on which to stake my life. It's proven true. And this is David's testimony here. It's his testimony of his own life. And it's a testimony that we can abide by ourselves. That unless we are resting, unless we are delighting as he says here, in these righteous testimonies of God, we will be captives to trouble and anguish. We will be totally surrounded by these distressing and despairing seasons. You notice that phrase again, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. That take hold there, it has this idea, a Hebrew sort of image of a dog hunting and tracking its prey. That's how fierce the suffering was for David. It was coming after him. It was taking hold on him as if he was suffering's prey. He felt so small in that moment. That's what he says in verse 141. I feel small and despised. I feel like an insignificant little vermin that's being tracked by dogs. I'm being troubled on every side. I am little. I am worthless. I am marginalized. I am weak. God, that's how I feel. And yet, I'm delighting in you. Why? Because he knows this word doesn't change. And also, too, I would, I would hasten to say... He knows that the promised one, the promised one that would come from his lineage would also be small and despised for us. This verse in 141 harkens back to that beloved messianic psalm, Psalm 22, in which we have sort of a, a prefigurement of Jesus' anguish on the cross. 
And in it, Psalm 22, verse 6, the confession is, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Jesus' own testimony is that he too was a worm, small and despised, who endured our trouble and our anguish for us. This is our peace in the midst of all the chaos, is that we have a God who is always gracious, who is a God who is always good. What's the mystery of life's peace? It comes back to entrusting your life to the one who is a mystery himself. You see, this is the, the very thing that we proclaim during this Advent season, this Christmas season. When we proclaim that the baby in the manger is the savior of the world, you're proclaiming a mystery. That a little infant was God himself. That the little infant in the manger, he is the very one for whom would, would bleed out for the remission of sins. This very one is the mystery, the God-man, the, G- the Jesus Christ, the Christ, who is also the Savior, the one who is divine and yet human at the same time. He is the fullness of all that God is in the form of flesh, like you and I. See, the mystery of life's peace is the fact that we are clinging to a mystery itself. We can't juxtapose or bring together the fact that God was 100% deity and 100% humanity. But we believe it and we cling to it. Why? Because that is the hope of all that we have. That is the reason for the season, we might say. It's what gives us peace amid all the pain, amid all the chaos and confusion, and when we are perplexed and puzzled by life's struggles and sorrows, We remember another mystery, the mystery himself who endured those troubles and sorrows and pains for us. We remember this one who I like to call the eternal enigma. He's a puzzle. He's the parable of the Father, Christ, human and divine, God yet made flesh. He's the creator who became a creature so that his creatures might be saved, might be redeemed from their sins. He's the creator who became a curse. This is the mystery we cling to. And God declares it in perfect righteousness, in perfect holiness, that this mystery has come for us. Such is why, which we are going to go in, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit for this morning's sermon, but that's okay. I do that often. <laughs> I just give you previews. This is why it's good to come to Sunday school. Because you get a little teaser. You get a little pre-image of what's going to happen. But this idea, the mystery becoming reality, this is what Paul is harking about. Remember, if you read the letters of Paul, what does he say often? That we hold fast the mystery of faith. This is the mystery we are holding to. The God-man. That the man who hung on a cross was the man, was actually the God who would save us from our sins. The man who many thought was a blasphemer and a criminal because of the things that he was saying. He was the righteous God. Who wasn't afraid to be numbered among the transgressors as Isaiah 53 says. 
He was a God who, was af- who wasn't afraid to make his grave among the wicked. He was a God who wasn't afraid to become sin that we might become righteous. This is the mystery we hold to. It's the mystery we cling to. And it's the mystery of all of our peace. I pray that we'll be all the more emboldened and encouraged to cling to it. In this season and the season to come throughout the rest of our lives. Let us pray.